you have your Bibles, like Adam mentioned, go ahead and turn to the book of James chapter 1 and uh, hold your spot there. We're going to wrap up chapter 1 today, actually, in this uh, book of Scripture. If this is your first Sunday with us, we have been going through the book of James as a series. We're going to continue to do that as we head in towards summer. And uh, this is a, a riveting book of Scripture, 108 verses that absolutely grab us and uh, uh, help us to come to really come to grips with some things we need to be aware of in regards to what it means to walk with every detail of every area of every life, really, in wholehearted devotion to the person of Jesus. So James chapter 1, we're going to wrap up chapter 1 today. Really, really glad you're joining us this morning here in our online service. So let me ask a question. So uh, you may or may not be a sports fan. If you are a sports fan, what is your favorite sport? Think in your mind what your favorite sport is. And uh, you know, for me, I would have to say, it's a little bit of a trick question, I guess. So I'll give a trick answer. If you ask me what's my favorite sport, I want to say, well, it's whichever sport uh, my kids are playing at that particular moment. Maybe it's going to be cross country or soccer or basketball or dance or whatever they happen to be playing. That's going to be my favorite sport. Outside of that, I would have to say probably my favorite sport is college football. Man, I love watching college football. And it doesn't matter if it's my team. It doesn't matter if it's somebody else's team. If it's a game with a lot on the line, I want to see it. And uh, I love watching college football. And NFL football as well, I, I don't hold it in the same level, really, and at the same height as college football, but I enjoy watching NFL football at the same time. And here's the thing. To me, football is intriguing because at the very base level, say if you've got an offensive unit on your team, that coach is uh, sending in the play. And when he sends in the play, the quarterback gets the play right, and he's going to be huddled up. There are going to be 11 players on the offensive side of the ball, 11 on the defensive side as well. But that offensive unit, that quarterback's going to kneel down. This is a Falcons team here, Matt Ryan there, quarterback of the Falcons. And, and uh, that quarterback is going to typically kneel down. He's going to call that play. He's going to relay the play to that offensive unit, to that team. And then they're going to break huddle. They're going to slap hands. They're going to break huddle. They're going to run to the line of scrimmage and they're going to come set. And here's what happens. When that unit comes to the line of scrimmage, they're going to be met by 11 ugly, nasty, smelly, gnarly defensive players. And it's going to start on that defensive front and it's going to extend back to the linebackers and it's going to move back beyond that to the, to the safeties and to the corners. And those 11 players on defense... Here's what they're doing. Those 11 players on defense at the very most simple base level are going to challenge that offensive unit to execute in public what they just discussed in private. Because the football game does not hinge on how good of a play you call. It doesn't hinge on how well-formed your huddle may be. It doesn't matter about any of those things. What matters is, can you execute publicly what you've just decided and what you've just uh, uh, ultimately called when you were huddled up in private? Now, there are distractions to this whole deal because if you're an offensive player and you're huddled up, there are distractions in that huddle. I mean, you're getting the play called in from the sideline by the coach, and when you're there, you, you, your mind may be a million miles away, right? You may be distracted. You're only human. You may be thinking about something else. You might be thinking of a play, you know, two quarters previously where you dropped a pass or where you fumbled or something along those lines. You may be distracted with your mind in another place. You may be distracted because you're tired. I mean, you've been throwing blocks, right? Maybe it's the fourth quarter. You've been throwing blocks for three and a half quarters. Uh, you're on that offensive line. You've been blocking basically Goliath, you know, some six, seven, three fifty dude, you know, who's been coming at you the whole game. You're just tired. 
You know, or you're a wideout. You've been running routes, you know, for three and a half quarters. And, and every time you go, you run that route the best you can. And then it's back to the huddle again. And, and, and when that new play is coming in in the fourth quarter, you're distracted because you're thinking, man, I'm tired. I don't know if I can do this next play. You might be distracted because you're beat down. I mean, say maybe your team is down by, you know, six scores. I mean, you're, you're losing by almost 40 points, which this is a Falcons team. That may very well be the case. But if you're losing by so much, right, you're going to be getting that next play in the huddle. And you may be thinking to yourself, you may be having to deal with the distraction of, it's not a matter of, can I do this? I don't know if I want to do this anymore, man. I'm just ready to hit the locker room. We're ready to reset and just forget about this game and move on to the next because we are getting our brains beat in right here on this field. And you may be distracted by being just flat beat down. Or maybe, maybe you're the player who doesn't like what the coach called. And when he sent in the player, when that quarterback changed the play, maybe you were one who thought to yourself, you know, I don't, I don't think I like this play. You know, I think I need to get the ball. I, I, th I think I should be featured on this play. I don't think they've been looking to me enough in, 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 this, uh, in this game. And all the while, with all these distractions swirling, right, and all this stuff that's going on, when you come to that line of scrimmage and there's a defensive unit waiting to see if you can execute in public what you just decided in private, there are fans in the stands waiting to see how it all unfolds. You know, you take that same picture of football and you then overlay it onto how we deal with Scripture, and there are a lot of similarities, because in much the same way, when we as Christians, I'm talking to those who are followers of Jesus here for a moment, when we as Christians come to God's Word, and when we, when we open up Scripture, and when we begin to sit down and read, or maybe just like this morning where you are, you're hearing it taught, and when we come to God's Word, it is very much the same as when we look at that football analogy that I just shared. Because the issue is not how much do we read and have we read the Bible through in a year or, or did we show up with perfect attendance in our Bible study just to check the box and say we were there. Those things don't accomplish anything significant in our Christian life. Yes, they're necessary. Yes, we need to sit under good biblical teaching. Yes, we need to actually carve out time to open and study God's Word, but they don't automatically, magically make us to be like Jesus. The key is, are we not only hearing God's Word, but are we also living it out in the public arena? Are we applying it to our lives, to our marriages, to our, to our time on campus as a student? Are we applying it to our relationships and how we handle our possessions and our finances? Are we using it to guide us through the difficult water sometimes of handling conflict and handling stress? Are we letting it dictate how we live? That's the question. Are we dealing with God's Word in a way to where we don't just huddle up on Sundays in private and learn something new about it, but are we breaking huddle and then ultimately living it in a way that takes it to the world and at the same time helps us to be more like Jesus? That's, that's the big question. And let me say, you face distractions too, because there are times when we come to Scripture and our mind is a million miles away. There are times we come to Scripture and ultimately we're tired. We're the one who's, who's feeling the grind of life. Maybe we're the one who got laid off. We're the one who had a relationship come to an end. We're the one who's going through a faith struggle, right? And, and maybe we, we ask ourselves at times when we come to God's Word, I don't know if I can live this. Sometimes there are moments where we ask or, or we think to ourselves, I don't know if I want to live this because I want to run a different play. 
You know, God tells me to do this in his word, but I don't know if I want to do that. I think I should be able to do this. I think I should have a right to do that, right? And, and where God sends in the play through his word, sometimes we're the one with a bad attitude, right? Where we say, I think I've got a play that's going to work a little bit better. And all the while there's a world sitting out there watching as it all unfolds. And the key is, are we going to be those who simply know God's Word, or are we going to be those who ultimately execute it and live it in a way that changes us and glorifies Him? So in the book of James, chapter 1, here's what James has been doing. James has talked about trials for the first part of chapter 1. Verses 2 through 12, he's talked about the topic of trials, hardships, difficulties. Starting in verse 13 through about verse 18, he's talked about the topic of temptation. We looked at that last Sunday. He's dealing with temptation and how it comes in our lives and how to navigate that, how to manage that. But he shifts gears here at the end of chapter 1, and in verse 19, he starts to talk about the topic of truth. He talk, starts to talk about how truth is conveyed ultimately in God's Word. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of principles this morning. Hope you'll jot these down. Hope you'll lock them in up in your mind and in your heart. But this is the first one. We look at the topic of truth. God's Word is truth. And the reason we need to understand this is because there are a lot of places in this world who, hold, who claim to have a, a hold on what truth is. And oftentimes in this world, truth is seen as something that is subjective. It is a moving target. It is dictated merely by the person you know, who, who, uh, who is trying to find it, that they can sort of dictate what truth is on their own terms. That is not Truth. That is not how truth is determined. God's word is our truth. This is what God has given us ultimately to help us to understand what truth is. So, so how does truth operate? Well, first of all, truth is transcultural. It, it, it doesn't it doesn't change based on what part of the world we may live in or what our ethnic background may be. Truth doesn't change based on our circumstances or the situations in which we find ourselves. Truth applies to everyone everywhere, whether living here in uh, Georgia or in the state where you may live or living somewhere in the Philippines or in Cuba or in some other continent, right? Truth is going to be the, the same in all of those locations as expressed through God's word. But at the same time, truth is absolute. I mean, it's not up for debate. I can't decide truth on my terms and then you decide what truth is on your terms. It is absolute. God determines what truth is. And here's a key point that we need to keep in mind, and we're going to build on this in just a second, that truth is not something that is invented by us. It is something that is discovered by us. And that's what leads us to God's Word. It's discovered when we open the pages of the Bible. Man, if you've got a Bible on your app right there in front of you or sitting on your lap or it's on your coffee table, uh, you hold a little, a little treasure, really, because that is God's letter to you, and it holds in its pages truth as God has already dictated it. And that truth is going to be life-changing. So James begins to deal with the topic of truth. And he helps us to see that the absolute most foolish thing we can do is to refuse to live life based on God's truth. So go ahead. Let, let's go ahead and jump into chapter one. This is going to begin in verse 19. Like I said, we're going to finish out the chapter this morning and uh, move through the rest of chapter one in the book of James. But let's start here in verse 19. I'm going to go through this uh, a bit slowly, make some comments as we go. 
and then tie it all together at the end. So James is writing. He's writing, by the way, let me say this, to a church that is scattered. All right, It's a group of Christians that have a Jewish background. He says that in chapter 1, verse 1. They've been scattered all over that region of the world, which is interesting to me because that's a little bit of what we're tasting here in these days. We're believers as well, and we're kind of scattered amongst our own homes. We can't come to a place where we can publicly gather again. So we have a little bit of a taste. We're not scattered because of persecution, but we are scattered nonetheless. And so James is writing to a group of Christians that are scattered. And he says here at the end of chapter 1, he says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls." And so James points out something here that we have to grasp and we have to understand and we have to do business with. And it's the next principle for us that I hope you'll jot down. And the principle is simply this, that sin inhibits our appetite for God's word or for God's truth. Sin inhibits, it hinders, it it, it becomes an obstacle, it blockades, so to speak, our appetite for God's word and therefore ultimately for God's truth. Maybe you're familiar with the whole concept of a diet pill, right? For a person who takes a diet pill, and I know they work in a lot of different, different ways, but at the, at, at the most basic level, the most common form perhaps of a diet pill would just be simply an appetite suppressant. It, it is designed some way to suppress that person's appetite who takes that particular pill, Now, that may be helpful for losing weight, but there's a real danger that's inherent in that because what that that pill does as an appetite suppressant, it, it inhibits one's appetite, is that it also blocks them and keeps them from the very nourishment that their body is created to need. It can be a very dangerous thing if it's not handled properly. Now, when James deals with the topic of sin, he's saying much the same thing. He is saying that sin... If we go back to that passage again in in, uh, uh, verse 20 and verse 21, sin at the same time ultimately blocks our ability to receive God's word. When when you look at this this passage, these these couple of verses, or, or this verse, verse 21, the key point of verse 21 is receiving the word. That's the, that's the key thought. That's what James is getting at, is that we need to receive the word. He then goes back behind that and he says, so let's remove the things that are keeping us from the main thing of receiving God's word. What do we need to remove? We need to put aside, first of all, sin. He uses the word filthiness, which refers to a, a moral depravity, a moral uh, type of sin. But then he says, on all that remains of wickedness, he just sort of basically covers all, all sin, all evil, right? And, and he says, we need to put that aside. We need to remove those things. Why? Because sin will suppress your appetite for God's Word. If you're sitting in your living room today, or if you're wherever you may be watching this, if you are somehow embracing an area of sin in your life, in your mind, maybe it's greed, or maybe it's a unforgiveness, or maybe it's a, a sin of, of your motivation, maybe you are, are, are seeking something for your own glory, or, or maybe it's an actual act in your life that you're engaged in, and you know it's sin. What's going to happen is, by nature, according to this passage of Scripture, that sin is going to absolutely choke out your desire for God's Word. You may be okay going to church, 
Going to church is safe. You may be okay tuning in to an online service. That's very easy. But you may not want any part of significantly engaging with truth as shown to us in God's Word because it's going to come up against your sin. It's going to ultimately, your sin is going to inhibit. It's going to take away your hunger, your appetite for God's Word. You're not going to want to deal with God's Word because your sin is so attractive to you. Man, that's happened in my life. It's happened in the life of every single Christian leader It's a part of being a believer. We have to do business with this continually. And so James says, put aside all sin. And then he says, in humility, receive the word. That is so important. Why does James go to the area of humility? I think it's because when a person humbles themselves, what they're doing is they're acknowledging the fact that they are not the one in authority. See, if we come to God's Word and we feel like we're the ultimate authority, we're going to pick and choose whatever we want here. We're not going to live by the whole truth of God. If we come to this Word and we feel like we're the one in authority, what's going to happen is ultimately we're going to kind of be like that that ball player who comes to the huddle and he says, I don't think I like that play that the coach just called. I think I want to run a different play. I'm going to run a different route than what he called, right? We become just like that player and that never ends well. And so James says to us, and if we want to be changed, ultimately living our lives in wholehearted devotion to Christ, we have to be believers who receive the word, who receive the truth. And we're only going to do that well when we put aside sin and when we humble ourselves ultimately. Look at what he says a little bit further, verse 22. Let's continue on in this passage. He says next, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. That's an interesting way for James to phrase this. Prove yourselves doers. Notice what James doesn't say. He doesn't say do the word, right? He, He doesn't use a verb to ultimately explain what he's aiming at here. He doesn't say, do the word, right? Go out and commit this action. Yes, that is important. Obviously, that's a part of it. But he takes it a step deeper. He says, prove yourselves doers of the word. He uses a noun. In other words, don't just be one who obeys God's word sporadically. Do it so consistently that when others see you, they can only identify you by your nature of being a doer of the word. See, the way he's phrased it here has everything to do with our identity. And it begs the question for all of us, myself or you included, when other people see us in the public arena, whether it's our boss, whether it's a family member, whether it's the, work, the, the woman who works at the checkout at the grocery store, or whether it's uh, someone else who, uh, who waits the table where we go to a restaurant, regardless of who it is, our neighbors, would they be able to look at us and say, you know what, I identify this person as a doer of the word. They are a follower of Jesus. They live out the word. I mean, this has everything to do with identity. James continues in verse 23. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's dealing with this contrast now. He is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror, 
For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. That's the hearer that James is describing. What an interesting analogy. He says, if you're just a hearer, man, you just go to church and you just sort of yawn through the message to get this over with and to check the box so that you can go fishing or go out to eat or do whatever else you got to do. If you only come and you know, just sort of check that little box and you do your daily devotion and you're really not engaged, you just hear it, but you don't have any desire to do it. He says, this is what you look like. Remember I told you a few weeks ago at the start of this series, James is going to rattle our cage. This is one of those moments. He says, this is what you look like. You're going to be just just like that guy who goes to the mirror and checks out himself and then he goes away and he doesn't adjust and he doesn't respond to what he's seen. <laughs> he says it's going to be just much, much the same. You, know, you almost get this, this vision of a person, you know, and uh, say they've been eating and there's a big old piece of pepper, right, stuck right between their teeth. And, uh, you know, let's say they're on a business trip or whatever and they don't know it they, and, and uh, you know, they, uh, they, they refuse to go to a mirror and to check it out. What's going to happen is somebody's going to have to say, hey, brother, man, you, you, need to, you need to go take care of that because you got a big old piece of pepper right between your front teeth. It's going to be a little embarrassing, right? Here's what James is saying. He says, listen, you've got areas of your life that need to be addressed and areas that need to be, need to be sharpened and, and honestly that need to be corrected. He says, if you only come to God's word and not just look to hear it, but to really engage with it and do it and to be a doer of his word, what God's word is going to do, it's going to be like a mirror and it's going to come up against your life and it's going to show things that need attention. It's going to show things that you need to address. It's going to show some things that you need to correct. It's going to give you direction. It's going to give you encouragement, but it's also going to correct you. And if you're only faithful to come and to engage with that word and then not just hear it, but do it, right? Go to the next step and actually respond to it. Man, it's going to shape your life. And you're going to ultimately be one who is a sharpened, mature follower of Jesus who lives a life of joy and impact in this world. But when it shows something that needs your attention, just like a mirror, you've got to respond and if you don't, the next step for God is to bring discipline. I mean, th this, is, this is evidence of grace right here. This book, the Bible, it's an evidence of, of God's grace. What a, what, a, what a blessing it is that God sharpens us and molds us and even corrects us and takes off some of the hard edges of, us, of our life, not by harshly disciplining us, but he just sends us to his word. And he gives us an opportunity to, to read it or to hear it and then to obey it and do it. And in that process, he molds us and he changes us. And he uses our life ultimately to make a difference. Verse 25, James continues. He says, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, he's, he's painting this picture of what this looks like when it's well done, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. You want to have a life of blessing? It doesn't have nearly as much to do with finances or healthy relationships or a steady job. Those things are all, all helpful. But if you want to have a life of blessing, it comes from living out on a daily basis the truth of God's word. That's what it looks like. James says it. This, is, this man who does this is going to be blessed in what he does. 
And just to make it a little bit easier for us, James closes out this chapter, chapter 1, with these last couple of verses by giving us a picture of what this looks like. Look at what he says in verse 26. He says, For if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Aren't you glad James really uh, carefully chooses his words so he doesn't offend us? <laughs> Man, he says, I'll show you a worthless religion. It, 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 it's represented in a man, let's just give you an example, who talks one way in one set of people, in one group of people, maybe when he's at church, but man, it is no holds barred, bridle is off the tongue, and he talks a whole different way when he's around another group of people. He says, this is a man who's not been shaped by the truth of God's word. This is a man, no matter how much he says he loves God or goes to church or any of that kind of stuff, this is a man who, in the eyes of the spectators watching his life, would say, brother, your, your religion is worthless because he doesn't do the word. James takes it another step. Look at what he says in the next verse. He says, let me show you what it really looks like when this is done the way it should be. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. Let me show you what it looks like, he says. I'll give you a few examples. To visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. James says, let me show you what it looks like when someone is not just a hearer, but rather they are a doer of the word. This is what it looks like. They visit the people who nobody else cares about. He says here, they visit orphans, ones who have no one else to look out for them. They step into their world and they visit them. This would have had a huge emphasis in the world and in the setting in which James was writing. It still has application, obviously, for us today. Let me show you what a doer looks like. They don't just talk about widows in their need and in their distress, but they actually reach out to those who are at a place in life where they could easily be forgotten. I love that our church here is filled with people, both students and deacons alike, and many others as well, who actually put this into practice. I, I, I love that. It's one of the greatest blessings of our church. But he says also, let me show you what real relationship with God looks like. A doer of the word, they ultimately insulate themselves and they keep themselves unstained by sin. Why? Because they know that if they don't, ultimately that sin is going to suppress and take away their appetite for God's word. And ultimately that is the first step to absolute shipwreck in their faith. It's like kicking out the first block of a landslide. Remember that football analogy? This world is filled with spectators, Christian, that are waiting to see if you just talk a good talk or if you actually are a doer of the word. They don't reserve that just for those who hold positions of leadership within a local church. This world is doing that for everyone who names the name of Jesus as a follower of Christ, and they are watching you to see if you only talk a good talk or if you are one 
who genuinely cares about living out what this word says. And so for you, this word is truth. It's God's truth. It's God's word for you. And I have to ask, would you say that you are a faithful student of this truth or is it something you only come to when you need something? Would you say that this truth is shaping your life, that it's even confronting areas of your life? Would you say there's an area maybe even of sin that God has been putting his finger on because he loves you that today you need to put aside and you need to leave behind? You're not going to want both. It's either going to be that sin or it's going to be this truth. And the choice is up to you. Maybe for you, you need to create some space in your life to study this word diligently. Maybe you need to initiate being in a group with other believers to study this word so that you can be a doer of the word. Or maybe for you, the starting point is just to pray, God, would you give me an appetite that only grows hungrier and hungrier for the truth of your word? If you've never given your life to Jesus to start with, May God would be more than happy to take over your life if you only lay down your sin and invite Jesus to come in, forgive, and take over. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to be reminded that your word is truth. And yet, God, the harsh reminder also exists that if we allow sin to linger in our life, it is going to suppress our hunger for the very truth that led to our salvation in the first place and the very truth that's needed for us to live a life that honors you and that fulfills us. So God, help us to be quick to humble ourselves. Help us to be quick to put away sin that suppresses our appetite for your word. And Lord, may we be the kind of people that when the world as spectators looks in, may we be known as people who don't just go to church or talk a talk, but that we are doers of your word. And God, we thank you in advance for the blessing that's going to bring and for the change that that's going to accomplish in our lives. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you've not left us alone. You've given us your spirit. You've given us the playbook. Lord, you've given us your heart. You've given us your word. Your word of truth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.